It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Well, Romans chapter 2, the study in the book of Romans has no doubt been a blessing uh, to me. I pray that it has been one to you. In order to understand our text this morning, uh, which will commence in verse number 12, we'll go to 12 to 16 today, it's, it's imperative or essential that we understand the context to some degree, and I will be hopefully very brief. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he is dealing with the pagan culture of Rome and the godless culture of Rome and the progressive perversion of godlessness. Did you hear what I said? I'm not looking for an amen. I'm just wanting to make sure that you heard it. The progressive perversion of godlessness. Like godlessness starts here and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse till ultimately it has, it is a violation of nature, which we'll look at this morning. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse number one. We often read, or chapter number one, we often read chapter one and people talk, oh, that's about uh, homosexuality. And, and though that is certainly a part of it, there's far more to it. And, and the uh, point that Paul is making is one that godlessness all leads to a degrade, degrading passions, which leads to a grosser and grosser perversion of what God intended for mankind. And that's very, very general. We spent 17 weeks in Romans 1, so we didn't overlook it as we went through it, but I don't have time to rehash all of it. But it is not limited to simply um, sexual perversion. You can see in verse 29 and 30 and 31, that, and, and even 32, the end state of a godless culture and a godless mentality. Well, the church at Rome was comprised of both Jew and Gentile, and uh, there was um, pretty, as most historians would argue, a pretty even split as far as percentages go. And the Jews, who Paul obviously was a Jew, the author of this book, uh, the Jews were by nature very um, pious, uh, very, many would even say pompous. Uh, they were not a group of people, by and large, the uh, unsaved Jews were not a people that showed a lot of grace. And now they've been saved uh, in the church, the people to whom Paul is writing. They've been saved, no doubt about it. But they are in the church and they still struggle, just like you and I struggle, with the thinking that they were raised with that was against God. And so Paul writes chapter 2, and again, we dealt with this going verse by verse through it in the first five verses of chapter 2. And Paul basically says to the Jews, you are moralistic, and you follow God's law, and you think that you're okay because you follow the morals of God's law, or you follow the principles of God's law. And then he opens up for them that your morals and your values and the things that you are living by do not give you the authority nor the freedom to look at the pagan Gentile, and this is how it's referred to in the book of Romans, does not give you the freedom to look at the pagan Gentile and say, they are in a way worse condition than I am. 
And he's arguing and saying essentially this, we are all in that same condition. So even the Jews who were members of the church at Rome had been placing themselves on a pedestal because of their heritage and their knowledge and their external compliance to God's law. And so Paul is talking in chapter 2 about judgment and not simply judgment on the Gentile, but judgment on the Jew, the Jewish believers. And he says in verse 6 to 11 that we looked at last week that the judgment of God is based on the unchanging word of God, not the ever-changing word of man. God's judgment is based on his word, not some fickle ideals of man or some ever-changing concepts of mankind, that the judgment of God is settled based on the word of God. Now, this was had to be somewhat mind-altering for the Jews because they thought they were good. They thought they were okay. Their opinion was, man, those Gentiles are evil, wicked sinners in chapter 1. I mean, they were shouting amen. If you were in the south, they were running aisles. If you're from the south and you know what that's all about. I mean, these people were standing on their chairs and waving hanky type stuff. I mean, they were were pumped up in chapter 1. Yeah, that's how evil they are. And then Paul flips the script a little bit, if you will, turns the page, if you will, and really says, you're no different, just your sin is different. But you're in the same boat. And then we come to verse number 12, which is our text. Well, our text will be through verse 16, and we'll read them as we go. Where Paul says in chapter 2, verse number 12, For as many have sinned, as many as have sinned without the law, shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. So in this new paragraph that Paul is opening after verse number 11, Paul helps us to understand firstly this morning that everyone will be judged for their sin. Everyone will be judged for their sin. The Gentile, perverted Gentile in chapter 1, be judged for their sin. Pompous, pious Jew, you will be judged for your sin. And notice how he says it. For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law shall also be judged by the law. The word have sinned, uh, the phrase has, have sinned, literally means this, to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Or one who keeps missing the mark. In other words, it's like this. And, and here's the word picture that, that Paul is writing with. It's the, the Greek word harmardiology uh, or harmardiatia. And Paul is writing this, and this is what the idea of the word is. The idea of the word is that you, you take a bow and an arrow and you set up a target and you have a bullseye on the target and you pull out the, you pull back the bow and you release the bow and, or the arrow and you let the arrow fly and the arrow misses the target. And the idea of sin is that you always miss the target. There's no way that you will ever hit the target of God's requirement for perfection. You just always miss the target. You miss it, I miss it. That's what he's saying. Well, the first part, he says, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish. Well, what does the word perish mean? The word perish means to be under the condemnation of God, to die without eternal life. Spoken of here to wander away and to be lost. So the idea that Paul is writing here is if you sin without the law, 
Meaning, without the Mosaic law of God, not knowing the law of God, that you will wander away, perish, die eternally for your sin. The word literally means to spend eternity separated from God in hell. The word perish, when you see that in the Bible, is almost exclusively, I think there's a few exceptions to this, but almost exclusively a a phrase for eternal punishment will perish without the law. Well... The Jews, man, they could accept that. As many as have sinned without the law shall perish without the law. You see, Paul is trying to help us work through this passage of Scripture and work through this concept that's really going to keep going all the way to chapter 3 and verse 20, 21, 22, 23. And he's trying to help folks understand something with clarity. And so it's imperative or helpful for us to Look at chapter 3, verse number 9 and following. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are, listen to this phrase, they are all under sin. As it is written, there is, so Paul is quoting the Old Testament, there is none righteous or none in right standing. No, not one. And because he is Hebrew, he is drawing special attention. You can put, help yourself to understand this. They didn't have an exclamation point to draw emphasis to a text. But with the wording of text, there's none righteous. No, not one. It's like Paul is putting a, a multitude of exclamation points behind this verse. He's trying to draw attention to this verse that they There is no person in right standing with God. And then he goes on. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their teeth are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. For there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by, the, by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is helping. And I know it's a lengthy passage of scripture, but I don't want you to think these are simply my words. Paul is helping us to understand this that everyone has sinned. You and me, me and you. You're no different, I'm no different, I'm no better than you, you're no better than me, you're no better than the person next to you, they're no better than you, we have all sinned. And Paul says back in our text in chapter two, verse number 12, Paul says, for as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. The Gentiles who never had God's law, God's written law will be judged for their sin. Rome was a massively populated area. And many say the most densely populated city or one of the most densely populated cities that has ever been on the face of the earth. 
much more densely populated, they say, than any city we would have in our day. And it was a community of, by and large, people who had no concept of the law of God. The Jewish community was at best suspect. They wrote to the Romans. They didn't follow the Jewish community or the, they didn't go to the synagogues. They didn't do any of that because this strange Jewish subculture in the mind of the Romans was um, a group of people that believed in these strange esoteric laws and requirements. They were monotheistic. They believed in only one God. Uh, They worshiped only one God. The, the, The Gentiles considered the Jews to be very devout and moral and committed to their religion and separatists, meaning they had little dealings with the world around them. They were very secluded, but they considered them to be very, very bizarre. And the Jews in Rome and really throughout the known world had very little evangelistic efforts. And and the people of Rome just considered them to be bizarre and never heard the law. And the Jews that were, were there thought they were fine because they had the Mosaic law. And so Paul says, hey, Church at Rome, those of you who didn't have the law and your family doesn't have the law, those who, verse number 12, those who don't have the law will perish without the law. They didn't have the word of God, but they will perish. Well, why will they perish without the word of God? Why will they perish without the authoritative word, the standard of God? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That nature itself points people to the reality that there is a creator. Nature itself points people to that reality. We dealt with that back in Romans chapter 1. The nature itself points people. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 1, turn over there real quick, verse number 19. The scripture says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The people who never heard the law of God don't have an excuse to say we knew nothing about you. No, no, the Bible says, God says this, I revealed myself to you through nature. You can see me in nature. And so he's dealing with that. They, they don't have the law, but they will still perish without the law. And he b- deals with that quite briefly. And then he says in verse number 12, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Those who know the law and know the truth and reject the truth will face a greater condemnation. Why? Well, because they have the law. Those who have sinned in the law, sin, same word, harmartitia, they have missed the mark. They've sinned in the law. They understand the law of God. They have access to the law of God. They went to synagogue as children. They heard the law preached. They read the Torah. Many of them, many of the men in the congregation that were Jews would have, without a doubt, memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They would have to memorize that before their becoming of man. They call it a bar mitzvah today. They would have memorized those passages. I mean, these people had the law. They knew the law. 
And he says this, and as many as have sinned, as many have missed the mark with the law, you will be judged by the law or God will judge you, listen to this, with great specificity according to the law. And so, you sin knowing the law, you will be judged by the law. Well, Pastor, I thought God is a God of love. He is, but in order for his character to be clear or his character to be right, we have to understand this, that you have to have the opposite side of the character. So, yes, God is love, but God is also just. And in his justice, he will judge. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number four, the Bible says, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so Paul is trying to make this, this uniform basic statement here to the church at Rome, that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you will be judged, regardless of who you are. Those who have no access to the law will be judged and will spend eternity, they will perish, and they will spend eternity in the sufferings of hell. Their judgment, now this is somewhat um, eye-opening to some folks, their judgment will be less severe. It will still be extremely severe, but it will be less severe. Well, why will it be less severe? Because they never had the law. Now, they had the general revelation of God in nature, but they did not have the clearly delineated word of God to tell them what God required of them. So the person who has never heard the word of God, who has never seen a, a, a missionary, a preacher, a Bible, never heard the name Jesus Christ, which our world is filled with them, and by the way, I might add, our country is filled with them. Those folks who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they will still be judged, they will most definitely perish, but their judgment, their eternal suffering in hell will be less severe because they didn't have the same access, though they will still be judged. But those who had greater access to the law will be judged and their judgment will be more severe because they had access to the law. And that's, that, that Paul is trying to help us understand this concept. Everyone will be judged, but not everyone will be judged on the same basis. Some will be judged greater because they had greater opportunity. Some will be judged less. The judgment's horrible no matter where you're at. The eternal separation from God in a place called hell where there's eternal suffering and eternal punishment and, and eternal heartache and weeping and gnashing of, thief, of teeth and the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. That's what Paul is referring to when he talks about the judgment of God and the perishing without the law. That's what those words mean here. And Paul is saying everyone will be judged, but the the pagan who's never heard the truth, their judgment will be less severe than the person who grew up with the truth and rejected Jesus Christ and rejected obedience and conformity to God's law. Why? Well, verse number 13, God requires obedience to his law. God requires obedience to his law. It says in verse number 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified not the hearers. Enjoying church is not enough. I want you to enjoy church. 
I really do. Like we work hard so that when you come, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty good. The music is good and, and the jokes are, are dumb, but kind of funny because he thinks they're funny. Um, we want you to enjoy church, good donuts, good coffee, all those things. We, that has no bearing on anything, but we, we want to provide an enjoyable service experience for everyone who comes. And there are some people who come just because they like it. They are, here's the word, hearers of the law. A hearer is one who listens attentively. It's the Greek word akroates. And one of the derivatives of this word, to listen attentively, and it's a classical Greek, meant something heard that was pleasurable, like... um, a uh, piece of literature read or a uh, 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 recital, somebody that's reciting something or music that is played or sung. And people just sit back and their, their hearts are filled with, with joy when they hear this. I like music. I like to hear certain styles of music and, and I enjoy it. And sometimes I just sit back and I'm, a joy is brought to my soul. That's a, that's the idea of the word hearer, that the hearer is not, not resistant, the hearer is not rebellious insofar as their listening uh, faculties. They have a sense of pleasure in what they're hearing. They enjoy the message. They'll even talk about the message, the hearer of the Mosaic law, but simply hearing and enjoying will not justify a person what he says for not the hearers of the law are just before God just means to be made righteous that which is expected as right or that which is expected as duty the the hearer of the law is not justified listen even though he enjoys hearing some people come to me like oh I just I love your style of preaching and I'm like thanks mom but the reality is Some people might come just because they enjoy it. I hear people tell me, oh, this guy's my favorite preacher. Oh, this guy's my favorite preacher. Oh, I just love hearing him. Well, well and good. That's fine. We all probably could say something like that. But the reality is it's not the pleasure we find in the message that justifies us. Well, what justifies us? Well, look at verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. What is a doer? A doer is a keeper of the law, a follower of biblical commands and principles. They're a doer of the law. Well, this word means a little bit more than what we would normally think. James chapter one, though, does help us to understand the importance of obedience to the law. James chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers or keepers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and Goeth this way and his way rather and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He hears the word. He, it, God reveals to him the kind of man he is, but he's just a hearer. And so he leaves and there's no transformation in his life or her life. The Bible says in verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a 
doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. One guy hears and he just, he hears, he enjoys it. He's not negative, he's not rebellious, he's not throwing things at it. He doesn't pelt the pastor with rotten tomatoes. I mean, he's, a, he, he's, an, he's an enjoyed, engaged listener. He's a hearer. But as soon as the service is over, the sermon is done and the doors are open, he leaves, he gets back into his car and he's no different when he leaves than when he came. James says he's a forgetful hearer. He heard it. He was confronted with himself. He saw himself in a mirror, just like you see yourself in a mirror. But when he left, he forgot what manner of man he was. But somebody who leaves and is transformed by the truth of the word of God, not the messenger, that man is blessed in his deeds. Deeds. Paul said it this way, that man is a doer of the law and shall be, we have this big word, verse number 13, justified. To be made right in God's eyes or to be made righteous in God's eyes. We are justified. Somebody defined justified this way, just as if I'd never sinned. Here's the idea of justification. I was a sinner, but now because I have repented and trusted Jesus Christ, now I have been made right in God's eyes, in every way. I am righteous in God's eyes. Now, this Greek word, diakao, means to justify, but it never means to make anyone righteous by paying the price for his or her own sin. You and I can never pay the price for our sin. I want to be very careful here. Man in his fallen condition can never do anything to pay for his sinfulness and be liberated from the sentence of sin-induced guilt that is upon him. Never. You can never do anything to pay the price for your sin-induced guilt. Because you're a sinner, you are guilty. You were born in sin. We were born guilty. We were born condemned. You say, I didn't come here to get told all I'm born in sin. Well, whether you came here to be told that or not, the reality is you were. And so is I. And that's what Paul is saying. We are born in sin. And there's nothing that you can do to ever pay the penalty for your crime. Now, if you break the law in our culture, if you steal somebody's car and you get arrested and you get put in jail and then you stand before the judge and the judge says, okay, your sentence is uh, five years in prison for car theft. You go to prison for five years and you get out of prison after your time is up, your five years, no probation, no parole. You, you did the full amount of time. When you got out, people would, you, you could say to people, I paid the price for my crime. And we'd be like, oh yeah, dude paid the price for his crime. He stole the car. He was sentenced to five years in, jail, in prison. He spent five years in prison. He's been released from prison. And now he has paid his debt to society. Right? That's what we say. Well, here's the thing. You and I can never pay our sin debt to the Lord. 
ever. We can never justify ourselves. Here's what some people think. Well, pastor, I know that if I don't accept Christ, I have to go to hell and pay the price for my sin for all eternity. No, no, no. You don't go to hell to pay the price for your sin for all eternity. There's nothing that you can do, including going to hell, that would ever allow you to pay the price for your sin, even spending time in hell. The only way that your sin debt can be paid, again, this is what Paul is helping us to understand, the only way that your or my sin debt can be paid is by the application of the blood of Jesus Christ on our life and his blood washes away all sin. But you going to hell for all eternity does not wash away your sin, does not pay your sin debt. The requirement for the sin sacrifice is a spotless, sin, the spotless, sinless son of God, which you are not. We spend eternity in hell not to pay the price for our sin, but to suffer the consequences of our Christ rejection and our disobedience to the law. Well, what does it then mean to be a doer of the law? Well, we have to remember a couple of things. The law is given to prove I am a sinner. That's why we have the law. Romans chapter seven, verse number seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin or is the law bad? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. But sin taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law was sin dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Leave that up for a second, please. The apostle Paul is saying this, before I had read the law or heard the law, I thought I was fine. I didn't understand. I thought I was okay. But as soon as I read the law and I heard, if we were to look at previous verses, which we won't, as soon as I understood that the law said that I wasn't allowed to covet and I had already known I had been lustful, then as soon as I heard thou shalt not covet and I was reminded of the fact that I had lusted for something that was not mine then sin revived or sin came alive in me it was already alive but I realized it so it revived and as soon as sin revived in my soul then I died the whole point of the law or one of the points there's two big ones that we'll look at both the first major point of the law is to prove that you are a sinner What's the other point of the law? Well, it's to point you to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 21. Is the law against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. If the law could give life, then let's be righteous by the law. Jesus doesn't have to die. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore, verse 24 is key here, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are, children, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now go to verse 24. If you would look at that real quick. The law is our schoolmaster. The word schoolmaster is the Greek word pedidagos. And that word is an interesting word. And in its original format, as Paul had used it, it would have referred to a slave who conducted boys from their home to the schoolhouse. 
It would be like modern day terminology or, or term or understanding would be like a school bus driver. Um, we live in a unique area of the world where kids often walk to school and you know, all throughout the year because it's warm enough as a general rule. And we see some buses, but not nearly the amount of buses that I grew up with as a kid. There were buses everywhere in Washington State because of the amount of rain and the darkness and all of that. And you would have a school bus driver who picked kids up and he took them to school. Well, he had to make sure that the kids made it there safely. The law is our schoolmaster. The law is our pedagogos. The law the point of the law is, or the point of the schoolmaster was to pick him up from his house and take him to school. The point of the law is to pick you up from your sin and take you all the way and deposit you at the doorstep of Jesus Christ. The point of the law is to prove to you that you cannot keep the law, that there is no righteousness in you and to leave all of us in utter despair. You mean God wants me to be desperate? Yes. God wants to leave you in utter despair. Why does he want to leave me in utter despair? Because he wants me to understand this, that I cannot save myself. There are no good works and there is nothing of value in my life that I bring to the table. The whole point of the law is to prove to me that I lust and I covet and I'm disobedient to my parents and I've used the Lord's name in vain like most of you and I've had thoughts of adultery and thoughts of murder and and, 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 and I've dishonored the Lord's day and, and I've used it for myself and I don't even wash my hands right and I don't always wear the right clothes and I don't have the right attitude and I don't sit in church the right way. And that's all part of the law. I mean, there's 420 laws that are very, very specific in the law. And Paul is saying the whole point of the law is not to prove your goodness for there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none in right standing before God. The whole point of the law is to take you from your original place of sinfulness and to help you understand your own despair and to carefully and methodically bring you and deposit you at the doorstep of Jesus Christ and to motivate and encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the point of the law. Why is he so negative? Because we want you to see Jesus as merciful. Why does he have to talk about things that I've done wrong? Because we want you to see how right he is. Why can't I do it on my own? Well, because if you thought you could do it on your own, then you wouldn't need in your own mind the one who can do it for every man, all mankind, everywhere, at any time. Matter of fact, he says, whoever comes to me, I'll no wise cast out, I'll no way cast out. Or whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. The whole point of the law is to bring you from a place of sinfulness to a place of Jesus Christ. And if you'll repent, that means agree with God, you've sinned against him and trust him, he promises he he will save you. To obey the law is to allow the law to point you to Christ. And that's what he's saying. Well, pastor, what does it mean to be a doer of the law? Well, candidly, a doer of the law is not simply someone who keeps as much of the law as they can. It's not someone who understands the law and even knows it. It's not someone who possesses and professes it. It's not someone who proclaims and teaches it. 
It's someone who understands that they'll never be good enough and they need a savior and they trust only Jesus Christ to save them because the whole point of the law is to prove to you you need Jesus Christ. So when Paul says be a doer of the law, he is not saying walk around and wash your hands a certain way or use the restroom a certain way which are in the law or to eat certain foods which are in the law. Paul is saying the point of the law is to bring you to Jesus Christ and if you're gonna be a doer of the law, you will accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, what about those who've never heard a question that we get regularly? And a very, very good question, I might add. Well, the third thing in this paragraph that Paul helps us understand is that there is ample evidence to point people to Christ, verse number 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now I want to be very careful here and not allow arrogance to take hold of any of us. When I was in the womb, it means in Arlene's belly, when I was in the womb, my dad was a young preacher. He was 28 years old. And as soon as I'm told the story, I don't remember, but as soon as it was confirmed that my mother was expecting uh, my brother, I have a brother five years older than me. Between my brother and I, my mother lost a child and, and two years after my brother was born. And then they said she would never get pregnant again. And here I am, which my brother has considered a curse his whole life. But as soon as I was in the womb and my parents were confirmed that my mother was expecting, my dad opened the Bible and began to preach to my mother's belly that I needed to be saved. And he began to share with me as in the womb. I, I don't remember it. I do remember the offering he took afterwards. But he began to share with me the message of the gospel. I mean, I heard it literally, not an exaggeration. I heard it in the womb and I heard it regularly in the womb. My dad is a good dude. Then the day I was born, I was born Caesarean, and, and um, it was an emergency Caesarean. And my dad was not the first person at the hospital. And my parents lived uh, outside of the main town, and my mom was at the hospital for a doctor's visit. And um, when she went to see the doctor, they immediately rushed her in and, and took me in an emergency C-section. And um, there was a pastor in Tucumcari, New Mexico. My parents lived in a little town outside of Tucumcari uh, called Logan, where my dad was an interim pastor. And there was a pastor in the town named Joe Doyle who has preached here several times. And Pastor Doyle was at the hospital first. And when I came out uh, and I was in the, you remember the, the, the nurseries that you would sit in and all or the babies would be in, Pastor Doyle came in and talked with me. I don't remember it, prayed with me, all of that. Then my dad got there about 30 minutes after Brother Doyle did and my dad uh, began to share the gospel with me yet again. 
I mean, I heard the gospel thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times before I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I am a, listen to me, I am a truly blessed person. Like many of you, you grew up in a Christian home and you heard the gospel from your birth all the way through. But there are some who are here today who didn't hear the gospel until you were adults. Some of you today might even be the first day that you've ever heard that there's a God in heaven who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sin. And if you will put your faith and trust in only Jesus Christ, he promises to give you eternal life. I mean, he promises that. This may be the first time you've ever heard that. Paul is saying here, when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. These having a law and a law unto themselves. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. There are some of you today who've been living your own way, going your own way. You said, I've, I've, I've never known anything, but can I tell you there's ample evidence to point you to Christ? Even if you've never heard the gospel, again, I don't want you to think that I'm being arrogant about this. I just want you to understand the scripture that these who have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. Well, how do, how do we without the Bible, how do we without as a person without the law know that they should turn to Christ? Well, verse number 14 says, they have nature. The nature of man that speaks loudly and clearly and should point them towards Christ. Paul and his readers knew pagans who lived uh, lives uh, uh, with, with uh, sinful lives. But nature had taught them that they ought not to live those lives. And they understood that, that uh, they, they don't have the law. They had nature and they did the things contained in the law just based on nature alone because it proves. I mean, nature proves how to succeed as an individual. And when you do that, you, you're following the law. That's what Paul is saying here. He's not saying it's enough to save them, but it does point one to Christ when they just do by nature the things contained in the law. There are many in our world today, as our country becomes more and more godless and more and more intentionally uh, devoid of God, where they're rejecting everything of God, that they're trying to even stifle that which is natural, even natural. Boy or girl, I read this article in USA Today, boy or girl, parents raising they babies let their children decide which is a july 19 2018 article by julie compton says this parents in the u.s are increasingly raising children outside the traditional gender norms allowing boys and girls to play with the same toys and wear the same clothes though experts say this is happening mostly in progressive well-to-do enclaves but what makes a gender open style of parenting stand out and even controversial in some circles praise the lord it's controversial in this circle no doubt about it they make it controversial in some circles is that the parents do not reveal the sex of their children to anyone even the children who are aware of their own body parts and how they differ from others are not taught to associate their body parts with being a boy or girl. If no one knows a child's sex, these parents theorize, the child can't be pigeonholed into gender stereotypes. Oh, I'm just going to be clear here. That's against nature. 
I'm not trying to be unkind. If you struggle with gender dysphoria, we want to help you. We want to encourage you. But you do so stepping over nature in order to come to that conclusion. We have a daycare here. The Lord has allowed us to start roughly eight years ago. And we have a great group of kids, roughly 80 kids. And I don't know what the percentage is, probably right around 50-50 boys and girls. And I can tell you this, there is no mistaking how a boy acts versus how a girl acts. The boys, no doubt about it. The boys, it doesn't take them long. Now, before they get two years old, something evil happens to boys at two. If you're a parent and you have a son and he's not two years old, listen, just start praying right now. Look to get him adopted even now. Just call somebody. I've got friends. We can help, all right? But something evil happens to those, those little offspring at two. How many moms in here can say amen to that? Something evil happens at two. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it happens. But, but this nice, cuddly, kind little kid at like 19 months, the closer they get to two, they just start destroying stuff. Girls are completely different. Girls, girls, as a general rule, want to cuddle. They, they want to take care of babies. They comb their doll's hair. They try to feed them. You ever see a two-year-old boy try to feed a doll? That boy is shoving a Big Mac, stepping on the Big Mac, trying to get it down the baby's throat right there. He'll have that baby choking out in no time. They're just different by nature. By nature, they're different. One of the families in our church, they have several kids and, and uh, uh, the, the oldest daughter that they have is kind of a little bit more fearful than most. And I got a picture from the mom this week. I always love when they send me pictures. And, and I got a picture from the mom this week of the, of the uh, not even two-year-old boy had climbed up on top all by himself of the bunk beds and was sitting up there and just having a time and ready to do his, just by nature. Nobody had taught him to do that. He just thought, if my sisters can do that, I'll do that. And if they get in my way, I'll push them them off of here, right here and now. Two-year-old boys, they slap, they hit, they bite, they spit, they throw stuff. They have no pride. It's just their nature. I mean, come on, can I get an amen? Isn't that just their nature? Girls, they're just also loving. They'll come up, oh, pastor, this is my baby. And because I'm funny to me, I will look at them and say, oh, that's not your baby. That's a doll. It's plastic. It's like your dad's heart. No, no, pastor, this is my baby. Oh, really? Tell me your baby's name. And they have a name for the baby. And they, they have all of these wonderful thoughts for the baby. And they care for the baby. And they're looking at the baby. And some two-year-old little kid, if they're not paying attention, he'll, that boy will come up. He'll be dragging that baby by the foot all up the stairs. He'll throw it in a doghouse. He'll spit on it. He doesn't even know. It's just nature. And say, oh, we ought not teach boys to do that. You can't help. You don't have to teach boys to do that. They just do it. They're creeps. When our new children's ministry director came in, she said, I'm going to name all of the rooms after sea creatures. I said, oh, boys should be sharks because that's what they are. Girls should be like seahorses or something, really, really nice. And it was a little like, you know, finding Nemo fish. But no, boys, they're just mean. I love it. <laughs> By nature. That's what Romans 1, 19 and 20 says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath revealed it unto them. 
For God showed it rather unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. We understand this, that there are three proofs that a man is aware of his need for a savior, and one of them is nature, and another one is his conscience. Verse number 15. Which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Their conscience. When they do right, they have a sense of approval. When they do wrong, they have a sense of of reproach. Men's conscience give him an opportunity to live righteously and to do good. His conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10, 22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The conscience of man. That's why no matter whatever, wherever you go, any, any viable society, it's always wrong to kill and abuse and kill three-year-old children. It's just the conscience of man. It's what, it's what we call the universal moral law. It points man to God. How do I know not to do this? Why does my conscience tell me this when I've never been taught this? Why do I know it's wrong to kill? Why do I know it's wrong to steal? Why do I know it's wrong to destroy? Why do I have to do, why do I have to overlook my conscience to be in sin? Because God put the conscience in the heart of man. That's what verse 15. That's why no one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know right from wrong. God would say, no, no, no. I showed you nature and I gave you a conscience. And then look at verse number 15 as well, the end part. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. Their reasoning, their thoughts, their reasoning capability can approve or disprove, excuse or accuse them. Men's thoughts bear witness as to how they should or should not live. Their behavior, and that's why the scripture says, accusing or condemning them or excusing or making something acceptable. Our thoughts do that. I've met many people in my life, shared the gospel with many people, talked to many people. And I talk to people who've never heard the gospel before. They've never heard, read the Bible. They've never seen a Bible before. They've never even heard the name Jesus Christ before. And I begin to talk to them. I mean, their, their life is totally devoid of any Judeo-Christian ethic. They've grown up in a very, very, very paganistic, Romans chapter 1 kind of culture. I mean, a very just anti-God, nothing to do with God. Everything to, that, that could be done with God try to be removed. And you begin to talk to them, and, and they begin to have a sense of overwhelming dread because of things that they have done. Why? Because God put it in their hearts and put it in their conscience. And even nature proves that there is a God who has requirements. And that's what Paul is saying. And there's two thoughts here. And the first is men can learn a great deal about God and right and wrong through nature, their conscience, and their thoughts. Men can look at even themselves in creation and learn that they are to live by order, by law, by rules and obedience and respect and peace and graciousness to others and giving recognition, recognition and honor and esteem by being clean and pure and moral, by showing care and concern and love with, without stealing, without lying, without cheating. Men can see that. As Paul is saying this, no doubt there are people in Rome and throughout the, the, the known world at the time who, who understood there were extremely moral pagans. 
Not every pagan was like the Romans chapter one folks. The Jews were trying to make that association. And Paul saying, no, there's a lot of people without the law who by nature do the things contained in the law, though that does not justify them. Their conscience bears witness. Their thoughts accuse or excuse them. And Paul says in verse number 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ according, according to my gospel. Here's what Paul is saying. Everyone will be judged by my gospel. And God is going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. What does he mean the secrets? Well, he means the secrets of one's heart. If you're sitting next to your spouse prayerfully, that's the closest person to you on the planet. If not, stay around Canyon Ridge. We'll teach you how to make that happen. But that person you're sitting next to does not know the secrets of your heart. You can keep secrets from your spouse. You ever see a, a spouse do something vile, uh, horrible, something heinous, and then they interview the other spouse? And, and normally it's a woman that they interview because the man did something crazy and, and repulsive. And you see the interview on TV and she'll say this, I, I, I never imagined he was like this. Yeah, there's secrets that can go on in a person's life that nobody, not even the closest person to you could ever know about. But the, this is what the scripture is saying. Those secrets will be judged by God. Well, how will they be judged? What is the standard? They'll be judged, or they'll be judged by Jesus Christ. What's the standard? My gospel, my good news, Paul says. This is how they will be judged. See, here's the idea. Well, we, we will be judged, and the standard never changes. God is completely impartial. The impartiality of the judge is necessary for any competition or courtroom. You wouldn't want to stand accused before a judge for stealing her mother's car. You would ask the judge to recuse herself. No, 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 I don't want you as a judge because I'm being accused of stealing your mom's car. And she had your Thanksgiving dinner in it. And so you guys were stuck with eating it in and out, which is a horrible dinner no matter when it's eaten, but especially on Thanksgiving. And so I, I, I want a different judge because I can't, you can't be impartial. And nobody would, would fault you for that. Nobody would go, oh, man, it's being, well, you're legalistic there. No, you want an impartial judge. Human beings are incapable of being impartial. When Debbie was in high school, she was, um, Debbie, if you're a guest, is my wife, and um, wonderful, 
voice that she has. And when she was in high school, she was um, in a singing competition. Her school went to a competition, and and she one of her things that, among several that she did uh, academically, one of the things that she did was to sing. And she was in this competition, and she was going up against kids from all over the state of California. Debbie was raised in Bakersfield, and uh, the judges that were at the uh, competition were ba- were all part of one school, and they wanted the kids from their school to win. And Debbie didn't win, though she was the best singer. And her not winning was okay. That's fine. We all have to learn how to lose graciously. No problem there. But when she received the judge's note, she was docked for two things. She was docked. She didn't win, number one, they said, because of the song that she selected, which was within the guidelines. They just liked somebody else's song more. They showed partiality. They said, well, we liked their song better than your song, though your song met the criteria. We just didn't like it as much as we liked their song. And by the way, they had every right to like that song more, but an impartial judge doesn't allow their preference to dictate the decision. And then they said, we didn't like the way that your pianist played. And Debbie was using a pianist who was also a student and was uh, not as good as the well-accomplished professional uh, accompaniment that the other singers had. And so they said, your pianist wasn't good enough and did too many chords as opposed to playing all of the lines as it is written. So we chose the other person. Well, it's a singing competition. It was not a song selection competition, nor was it a accompaniment or piano playing competition. It was a song selection, but she lost. And why did she lose? Because the judges showed partiality or the judges showed favoritism. Well, this is what Paul is saying. Jews, you think you're good because you have the law? There is a higher standard of obedience for you than there is for people who've never heard the law. Now, everyone will be judged for whether or not they've accepted Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on to say in verse 13. We're not the hearers of the law before, uh, just before God, but the doers. You don't accept Christ, you're not justified. The hearers and the doers are justified. And then verse number 14 when the Gentiles do those things contained in the law, which they've never heard, they're a law unto themselves. So there is no out for the Gentile and there is no out for the Jew. All must come to Christ, whether Gentile or Jew, we must all accept Jesus Christ according to the word of God, according to the gospel, verse 16, that the apostle Paul has written. And we will be judged impartially by Jesus Christ, who is unchanging. He never changes. Malachi chapter three, verse number six. I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. He is impartial. Verse number 11, there is no respect of person with God. There are no special ins and outs with God. There's no special things with God. No, no, you're judged based on the word of God. You have to come to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we ought not be dismissive to the believer here. God expects you to be obedient to him too. We will be judged if we're saved based on our obedience to the law. If you're saved, God expects you to be obedient to the law. 
Well, Pastor, if you knew my background, all of that we could talk about, but it doesn't free you from obedience to the law. It doesn't free you to do your own thing. Well, you, you don't understand where I'm at in life. No, no, we, we, we are judged by an impartial judge and he's no respect of persons. When it comes to salvation, no respect of persons. When it comes to sanctification, no respect of persons. The judgment of God. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.